I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Matt. Hey, Chris. Where are you there? You're in a little hotel room somewhere? Yeah, lovely celebrity surroundings in Glasgow, uh, up for the World Championships. So I've got my hotel room sorted. I'm here for the next 10, 11 days. It's exciting. Yeah, it's about to kick off tomorrow. Does it Where start? What, what's it start with? The, is it the track first? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I should know this. The, the Velodrome starts tomorrow. I think there are other events on as well. Right. I mean, there's there's 8,000 cyclists involved. There, there's roads. You know, road race, time trial. There's a Grand Fondo, which is like the kind of amateurs, you know, the hobbyists that get to get involved too. There's the velodrome racing, the track. There's BMX racing, BMX freestyle. There's downhill mountain biking, cross country mountain biking, marathon mountain biking. And there's even an e-bike mountain bike race. There's indoor cycling, which is artistic cycling, like so. Okay, kind of, yeah. You know, um, synchronized swimming on wheels is quite a good way to describe it. And then there's cy- cycle ball, which I'm looking forward to seeing as well. So yeah, there's loads of stuff going on, and there's a bit of an overlap on on all those events. Is it is it odd? I think we talked about it maybe in one of the very first ones of these of going into a velodrome that's got your name on it. Like is that is that or maybe yeah. you've been there so many times you're kind of used to it? Um, it's almost the opposite. I kind of just accepted it when it happened because it was just there was life was so crazy at that point where just bizarre things are happening and you kind of go oh yeah that seems pretty normal to have a <laughs> massive sports facility with my name on the side of it um but now i think now it's when you start to go wow you know you get a bit more reflective when you've got the time and you finish your career and you look back on it and i think back to being <clears throat> in edinburgh at meadowbank stadium outdoor track fighting to try and get a roof on it doing all we could to get an, an all-round a year-round facility never really thinking it was going to happen. And then to think now we've got this amazing international facility, which we can host world championships, Commonwealth Games. You never know, even Olympics one day potentially. And um, yeah, it's it's got my name on the side of it. Which have, is your, have, your kids, have your kids been and seen it? Because that'd be quite um, weird, like there's dad's name. Yeah, on. they're coming up on Monday. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that. I've got, they're coming up to do the morning session. So I'll be off, I'll be working in the afternoon and evening, but I'm going to see them in the morning and go up and, sit in the stands um, and have a little look around with them and explain to them what I used to do. That's so cool. They must, mm. It'll be quite surreal for them to see daddy's name on there, on the, on the building. <laughs> yeah, they just, they kind of accept these things as if it's yeah. normal. I guess it's, yeah, it's not like it's, it's suddenly happened for them. It's just always been there. And and, yeah. it's, and also, I think what, what is strange though is that, you know, I'm not competing anymore. So it's not as if it's a massive part of my life. I'm not away traveling and racing and they're not, it's something that happened before they even existed. So, they just they kind of yeah. accept that this bizarre thing happened years and years ago, and uh, and as such, you know, my daddy's name is on the side of this building. <laughs> well, I'll have just, to ask him. We'll you just, I guess that's just what life is. You don't know any different, so yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. 
So where are you anyway? You, you're at home just now? I'm at home, yeah. I've just been at uh, West Country Water Park, I think it's called, where I took my son, my 14-year-old, and two of his mates. It's like an aqua park. It's like a sort of inflatables on a big lake. So you sort of do an obstacle course and throw each other in the water and then go paddleboarding. And I just sat in the cafe a bit working. But it, but it was so <laughs> I was distracting. Say, good for you getting stuck in. No, I didn't get stuck in because I had work to do, but it was so distracting uh, watching them because they're just they just – they're animals and they're just taking each other out and giggling. You know, one of them's almost sort of drowning because he's sort of backflipped and gone wrong. And they just, they can almost not breathe because they're laughing so much at it. But it's just, they're, they're exhausted now. It's lovely, like a really nice tiredness. So um, Perfect. Perfect. Full Summer holidays. to go on Xbox. And yeah, we're, we're off on holiday tomorrow down to Wales. So, um, oh, great. A bit, a bit of a breather. So um, good Welsh weather. Looking, waiting for you down there. It's weird. We went there before. Yeah. It's like um, Cardigan Bay, and it's got this sort of slightly weird microclimate. So it can be quite bad, and then suddenly out of nowhere, these sort of pockets of lovely weather appear. So we're not too bothered. The children are pretty hardy, so we'll just head out on walks on the bikes, maybe stuff like that. Yeah, oh, it could be all right. It's been oh. a funny few weeks, hasn't yeah. it? Rain, just non-stop rain. Anyway, you got, do you guys? Here. Do you guys go away after the? Well, no, we, no, we kind of had an air. We front loaded the year. We went away to Thailand and during Easter, and we went to Greece and half term. So, yeah, summer holidays are sitting at home in the rain, <laughs> forcing them to go out in the garden. Go on, yeah. put, put your raincoat on, go and have some fun. No, just, it's just the same problem. All parents are trying to find things to get their kids yeah. to do and not on the iPad. That's, the, that's all they want to do. But, um, yeah, who have we got on today then? We have got a sort of a, a, a dual person on today, if that makes sense. We've got Milo McCabe. Now, people might know him as an actor and a comedian, but also he's become famous in uh, separately as Troy Hawk, which is uh, uh, head of the Greeters Guild, I think he calls himself. And you'll see him in the most fantastic um, sort of uh, dressing gown or, or robe with a little moustache on. And he's he, invariably at all sorts of weird places outside, like a Primark or in Iceland or a Greg's, greeting people as they come in and out of the store. But reason we got him on, actually, sporting-wise, is he's become a bit of a sporting favourite in that he's done some with Manchester City twice, I think, uh, done some for Formula One. He did one at the golf the other day with the Scottish Open. Um, and it's just funny to see <laughs> the different reactions. And it's what well, I love, it's the one outside Waitrose, which I assumed was some sort of um, advert or collaboration. And he just turned up and clearly the management were like, hang on what's who's this guy at the front and it's it's because he's so kind he's he's, he's, he's basically paying people compliments and, and he yeah. goes wonderful gates or, or you know you know you've got the shoulders of a, a a man who knows who knows how to handle himself in uh in well, yeah i forgot it's always, it's always sh- shoulders back, shoulders back well shoulders back but he's like you you have the cheekbones as well he's complimenting cheekbones, cheekbones and yeah. eyebrows and hmm. um he brings in Jan Molby a few times in the sport one. Yes. It's quite like such a sort of niche old reference of, of my era of watching football. Um, we'll have to find out where the Jan Molby reference came from. <laughs> I guess maybe that's just, just the name that popped into his head. Anyway, here he is joining us. So I shall let him in. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Very well. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Thank you so much for joining us. No, pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. So where are you just now? I'm at home. I've just uh, had a workout and gone over my new show, and I'm about to get a train to Darlington immediately after this. Uh, so I'm doing a shoot tomorrow, uh, greeting people in Darlington. <laughs> yeah, I've just, just, finished my old, just finished my old tour. 
and I'm sort of getting the new one, the new show ready. Going to give it a, a week in Edinburgh at the end of the Edinburgh Festival. So Amazing. Uh, yeah. And is that just as Troy, Troy Hawk, or are you doing it as all your char- different characters as well? No, just as Troy. Uh, Troy's become a sort of four-dimensional entity now <laughs> with his own sort of independent thought patterns and <laughs> ideas. I mean, obviously there are correlations between he and I. Yeah, quite quite a few probably, but yeah, yeah, it's just Troy. But I mean, I've been doing stand-up as Troy for like God, full-time since about 2015. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. I, I, it seems to have gathered so much momentum recently, though. It's, it's everywhere. You know, you're seeing clips i guess social media is great for that once you start liking something and you start viewing it you get more and more of it but it's um spending hours <laughs> watching yeah. the reaction of people it's so where did the idea come from how did you how did you come up with the, the greeters guild the 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 character of troy or the the whole greeters guild well i guess both but what which came first oh well troy came first so i was doing an edinburgh show in 2012 and I, it was a four-character show, and I had three of them, and it was June. And the Edinburgh Festival is obviously in August, and I had to come up with a new character. So my manager at the time said, why don't you do a posh character? There aren't any good posh characters. And I said, okay, uh, but I wanted to give it a twist. Uh, and at the time, I'd been watching a lot of David Niven, particularly <laughs> his interviews on Parkinson. And there was something about David Niven specifically that, was so evocative of that era, the sort of 30s, 40s kind of English gentleman who was a tiny bit camp but utterly masculine. And but for some reason, it just seemed really evocative. There was something about him that I zoned in on. So then I thought, I'm going to create a character that is like that, but I need a backstory to make it a four-dimensional creation. So Troy was then homeschooled by his mother and sort of kept in her preferred era um, <laughs> until he was eventually allowed out of the house at the age of 35. <laughs> and then I've got a convincing reason as to why this man is out in the world. Uh, and I also have the interesting psychology of a very strong maternal figure to play with. So, so then that that that's how that character came about. And I was I've been doing that character on the circuit for a long time. And I would make these videos, but I didn't really have a big online following. But I'd take Troy out into the world with these various things, and they were they were, they were quite popular. And and then basically. I did this sketch. It's a long answer. I did this sketch. <laughs> We've got about... loads of time. Sweet. <laughs> I, I, was, I was going up to Edinburgh, I think it was 2014, and I had a routine about Troy working at Wilco's. So I decided to do a video where I just went to Wilco's in Epsom, and I got a uh, fleece, got the Wilco fleece. Uh, my mum made it. She did the stenciling on the back. So I was dressed as Troy, cravat, sort of, you know, 1940s head, Wilco fleece. And I went in with a cameraman and just started working there. And I thought I'd get booted out in like two minutes. And then suddenly like staff are walking past me, barely even looking at me. <laughs> and so I, I, I start working there. I'm stacking shelves. I'm tidying up. I'm helping customers. I'm in there for an hour. 
right? <laughs> no exaggeration. Oh, wow. I'm in there for an hour. At a certain point, now bear in mind at this point, my goal for the video is to get booted out by managers, whatever. So I'm in there for an hour. At a certain point, I'm like, how are we going to get kicked out of here? What do I have to do? How do you get removed from the premises for impersonating the employee in Wilco? So I start, I sat on the garden furniture right in the middle of the first floor and just got my cameraman to stop hiding and openly filmed me doing a piece of the camera. And again, staff just walking past, not even, not even giving me a second glance. <laughs> so then we, we, we had an emergency. We, we went for a coffee over the road. I went, how am I going to get booted out? And then the camera guy is my cousin, Max. Uh, he said, why don't you welcome people on the door? Why don't you greet people on the door? They can't really ignore you then. And I'm like, that's a really good idea. So I'm there at the door being helpful. And the manager comes out. And I'm like, oh, finally. And she goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be here. I got sent by Andy Watsits at the Kingston branch. It's all. And she went, all right, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, finally, massive, massive. Oh, man, I, 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 I was working there. All in for about two hours, <laughs> doing nothing but nice things, you know, enhancing their brand. And then the manager finally came out and he went nuts at me and, and booted me out. And that was that, right? So that was 2014, put the video out, people liked it, but whatever. I didn't really have a following. Then, this is a really long answer. Then, no, I love it. I, <laughs> just after lockdown, I did a couple of videos in Liverpool that kind of went semi-viral and I began to get this following in Liverpool and then I began to get these numbers online on social media and it very quickly becomes quite an addictive thing but not only that as a comedian you see an immediate financial benefit and career benefit in ticket sales because I'm doing these tour shows right so having these popular videos suddenly all my shows in Liverpool are selling out so I'm like okay so this is the way to move on right it's obvious and I'm, I've, I've finally run out of ideas. And then I cut up this video from, from 10 years ago where I was outside Wilco's. And as I'm editing it, I realized the best bits are the bits where I'm on the door. So I put out this one-minute video on TikTok of me doing the greeting thing. And some random TikToker just posted a comment, um, B3RN underscore 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 one, I think it was, uh, posted this comment going, why don't you do this at other places? And I thought, yeah, not a bad idea, but B three R N underscore 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 one. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna do it other places. And then so I started looking up places with really low customer service ratings and then phoned up this other cameraman and said, I'm in Macclesfield, uh, sort of, you know, in a couple of weeks. Can you come and film me? I know it sounds weird, just point the camera. And then I did a couple and then as it went from there, each one just gathered momentum until this thing I started doing to sort of push ticket sales sort of turned into like a side gig that got madly out of control i mean and the, the camera i guess is hidden across the road or in a place oh, yeah. For the, yeah, yeah so it's completely i guess if you're fully dressed up in the in the uniform people are gonna assume that you are part of that that setup no they don't they kind of do but they don't and that's the confusion because i look like it's like, why would that person be there being nice to me if they weren't <laughs> working at Poundland? But why are they dressed like that? And there's this kind of, like, you can see people having a little conversation with themselves in their head, not not being able to kind of join the dots as to what's going on exactly. 
And has, um, it, has it become to the point now where you're, you're gaining so much recognition that people are recognizing you immediately and you can't, is it getting harder to do it and get the reaction, the natural reactions or? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I still, on, on pretty much all the shoots, I still have a vast number of people that, that don't have a clue. I, I get recognized more. Um, but there are still there still tends to be enough people who haven't got the the, the foggiest. They they, they I, I still get it. Uh, it's not as universal. I think when people kind of subscribe on social media and they get used to seeing the videos a lot in their feed, I think there's probably a, a presumption that this is the same for everybody. But I think there's uh, yeah lots of people still completely unaware. So I do kind of get away with it a little bit. Still. What I love about it, what I think is unique and, and it's it's so good, is the fact that most hidden camera kind of comedy things, the kind of the, the public are the butt of the joke. Yeah. Whereas you're, it's it's so positive and it's such a wonderful character and it's it's the person doesn't walk away feeling as if they've been duped and feeling oh I made made to look an idiot. You, they're all walking off with a big smile on their face and whether they're in on the joke or not, they they seem to come away having a great time and it's it's a. There's something just wonderfully wholesome about it all. I just that's why oh. I, I enjoy it so much. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, I, um, I didn't set out to do that at any point. That's uh, that's just me taking this character and putting this character in this environment, and that's what happens. So it's it's that that that's that part of it is definitely an accident. But yeah, it it it, it is nice. I'd always wanted the part that's not an accident though is I'd always wanted to have no victims or as few victims as possible. Whenever I did the hidden camera stuff, I kind of wanted to be the butt of the joke. <laughs> and I think that runs through all of them. And the only time people do come off badly is if they have a, an adverse negative reaction to, to what I'm doing to something that's clearly benign like shop managers who go way over the top and at, at the same time you, i do feel for them a little bit because i am an anomaly but there's also the factor uh, you know they don't know who i am and what i'm doing i am an anomaly i understand they have to sort of defend their territory to a certain extent against this sort of unknown entity but at the same time what i'm doing is so sort of benign and harmless it seems ridiculous to be fair to them like they don't know that but what's missing i think is a tiny bit of common sense sometimes with those with those shop managers um but uh, yeah but that that bit that part of it is happening less obviously i, I wondered where when did the sporting aspect of it I, I, in my head i'm thinking the man city is the first yeah. one that you did is yeah. that right sporting wise and, and, and did, did someone approach you to come out to that or what was the backstory to that because that's an that is an absolute classic that is that, but can i also say what a lovely curlback to the actual theme of the podcast that was <laughs> I, I do this hideous, professional. hideous shoehorning each each episode <laughs> it wasn't hideous though. it was it was really Food. That's like, why. You, that's why you pay him the big bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you saw your moment. You dived into the pocket. It was. It was glorious. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, basically, what happened was I'd been doing the videos, and it was like that they'd sort of started to get really popular. And then someone I used to work with years ago now works in the social media team at Man Man City. 
And he got in touch with me and he goes, do you want to come and do this with the players? And initially, uh, like when I say Troy, as Troy, I don't know anything about football. Like I'm not a football guy. Um, I, I kind of turned my back on it because it was like, the, the real reason, like, I think I'm too much of an emotional control freak. Like, but I've got a line as Troy where I say, I'm not a football fan. I don't like leaving my um, emotional well being in the hands of 11 men every Saturday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's true. A, bit, a bit of that that's true. So I've sort of backed off from football. And then he approached me, and my first thought was, like, I've got a, lot, a big affinity with Liverpool. Like, um, the you know, my, my big sort of early ticket sales were all Liverpool. I went to Liverpool Uni. I, I love the place. I love the people. And I thought, if I do this Man City bid, am I not kind of sort of doing them a bit of a disservice? And then so initially I, I, I said no. And I said no. And then I said no to this. Uh, so I've got these two agents. Uh, Ruth and Debbie and I said nah said Ruth and Ruth sort of went alright fair enough and then she brought it back to Debbie who's like the main agent and Debbie's a massive football fan and she immediately phoned me up and was like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> you are ah, 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 ah. and I said but what about she goes no 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 you're doing it you are absolutely doing it so I was like alright yeah 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 fair enough you know so I got booked for the thing, went up there, didn't know, really only knew Jack Grealish and Pep. So I'm looking at, uh, I asked for a picture of everybody. So I'm looking at sort of pictures of everybody and I didn't know who Harland was or anything. I sat on the train and I was sort of, you know, like writing a line here or two. I actually wrote a line about Jack Grealish's hair and he was wearing a cap. So I didn't get to do that. So I had to improvise something, which turned into whatever that, sort of odyssey <laughs> into but like yeah pretty much that was it, it was the, the, the man city one they all came through um we, we 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 did the thing we got that and then i i obviously didn't have any idea sort of how much that would take off or how big that would be and then so that 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 went pretty big and then shortly after that someone at cheltenham got me to do the jockeys uh and so i got a few of the jockeys and obviously did not have a clue who any of those people were either. And then a dude called Will Buxton earlier this year. Uh, Will Buxton is a guy from Drive to Survive. Do you watch that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he had watched me in my very early days as Troy in about 2016 do a, a tiny little show near him. And he sort of added me on Twitter and I added him and we sort of messaged a bit back and forth. Um, but again, he knew I was going to Melbourne in Australia and he goes, can you come and do the formula one? And then, so came and did that one. And again, I didn't know apart from Lewis Hamilton, didn't, didn't really know who any of them were. And it sort of makes it a bit easier. I think I'm not, cause I'm not like starstruck or anything. I'm just, uh, it's just, it's just the dudes who's apparently, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was the formula one one. And then I did it. And then I think other people involved in different sports saw that three of them had worked so they went okay right and then I've, I've ended up doing one for cricket I did one for some rugby fans I've done darts that's gonna come out soon what else have I done uh, there's other sports as well it was got, the, golf, got... the golf was the one I saw most oh, recently yeah, 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 just, a, yeah. just a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that was, that's, that's brilliant <laughs> oh, thanks. thanks. Yeah, I'm thinking of someone's eyebrows, but I can't remember who, which player it was. Oh. Tony Finau, maybe. Maybe it was his eyebrow. I can't remember. What was, was, was his name? 
Tony Finau? Was it his eyebrows or was it somebody else? I can't remember. I, I, I got yeah. no idea. I, again, again, I recognised Rory. <laughs> I recognised Rory, and that was it. Um, but but yeah, like my my um my my WhatsApp group friends. I'm in a, a WhatsApp group with a load of comedians, and they're incensed that the person who knows the least about sport or has the least sort of <laughs> interest in the soap opera dynamics of sport is is the person that's sort of getting getting in this position with these fellas, you know. So I was going to say, before you do that kind of event, then you you, you know who you're going to see and you get a chance to plan it and you have your lines or your observations yeah. on each one of them. But what I find amazing is the ones, the, the, the general public in the street, somebody just appears and out of nowhere... Troy comes up with uh, an observation which, until you say it, it doesn't seem obvious. And as soon as you say it, you go, God, yeah, you absolutely nailed it. I mean, how is that anything to do with your, because your degree was in, was it psychotherapy, was it? Is that correct? No, I did a, I did a degree in psychology. And psychology. Then, um, I trained to be a psychotherapist, so I did that for two years. And then I stopped because I started doing stand-up, and I thought that would be every client's worst nightmare is to open your heart to the psychotherapist and then, <laughs> and then three days later see him on stage at an open white night yeah it'll be terrifying so I, yeah i, I sort of start it, I, I wouldn't say it's so much that i would say it's more sort of years on the comedy circuit and thinking on your feet on the comedy circuit and crowd work and having to sort of react in the moment uh, on stage to the different variables that come along and 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 i guess making a note of all the times that as a comic i failed to react to something or failed to say the right thing then have it come to me on the drive home and then making sure i i pop it in the memory bank for when someone or something similar occurs then i've got sort of something in the chamber that can come out and seem sort of very naturalistic and off the cuff but but a lot of it sort of comes down to muscle memory and experience and that kind of thing but it's also being relaxed in the environment i think being a comedian on stage the better you get a lot of the similar variables for becoming a sort of very accomplished sports person is things that look incredibly impressive come down to muscle memory and experience a lot of the time yeah, so there's a, a neat little segue back for you <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, just go back to that. Um, what I love as well is when you see somebody, when you see comics often interacting with their audience, as you're saying, it's you know part of being a stand-up comic, but often it's picking on the weakness or picking on the, you know, a negative part. You're sort of making a mockery of the person. They're all part of it because they're at a comedy show. They expect that it's all part of the fun. But it's the, it is the way that you you are able to find something positive to say about every single person. And I, that's that that is a really refreshing um, approach to it. I think it's really that's. For me, that's what I love about it the most. Ah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I wonder if the club was worried with Man City about how these sort of multi-millionaires would react to oh, slightly, slightly unusual way of arriving for training or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the only time it was fully, that was when they had the final product and we'd worked on the edit together. Like they sent me an edit. I sent my edit notes. We got this edit together and then they presented it and gone, look, we're putting this out tomorrow this is great, the players look great, everyone's going to love it. And at that point, they sort of went, oh, oh okay. You know, so it, 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 it was it was very, like, raw, that first one. None of the players, because I'd so nailed it into my mate, it's like, they can't know I'm coming, and they can't know anything about me, otherwise all, none of the reactions are going to be organic. None <laughs> of them are going to be real. Yeah. 
And when, when they when they um, got me back on the bus for the end of the season, it was the same deal. None of them knew that I was going to come up there. And uh, I also had no idea whether they would remember me or would sort of, you know, oh, oh there's that dude again. I didn't know what kind of impact or effect I'd have. And uh, it was it was quite hectic, the one on the bus. I don't know if you've seen that one, yeah, seen that. where they all come back at the end of the season. So basically, we were going to do it outside the bus. And the second we got there, there's like 2,000 people in the street. Everybody's blowing horns. And we're looking at each other going, this is not going to work. We can't do this. And then I said to the dude, can we actually do it on the bus? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, why wasn't what? Let's go. Got up to the bus. The DJ sort of held the music off for five minutes, and they all started to come up. And then they they uh, recognized me, which I was delighted about. And uh, uh, Ake even said one of my lines back to me, which sort of blew me away. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was it was stunning. And, I mean, obviously, I'm catching them in a good mood. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like they've, <laughs> yeah. they've, they've just won the treble. They've been partying for two days. They're boisterous. They're, but I got to speak to Calvin Phillips after, after the event, at the after party. And, by the way, he is such a lovely dude. He's like supernaturally down to earth, like just ridiculously nice, easygoing, level-headed dude. But he sort of, we were chatting at the end and I said to him, I didn't even know if you guys would remember me. And he said, oh, oh no, like <laughs> uh, first couple of months of the season, like there were some players getting the piss ripped out of them. <laughs> like, like there was some, uh, and, and then I was like, I was like, oh, all right, was it Jack? And he went, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what, what was funny, because I, I didn't know any of this, but what was funny is, is all the players have been torturing him about our interaction for a couple of months, I think early in the season. So when he came up the bus and saw me, it was like the meme that his mates had been using to torture him in the WhatsApp group. It suddenly come to life. <laughs> <laughs> did he run away from you or did he embrace it? No, he was great. No, he was no, great. Okay. Well, he sort of he says, not, not you again or something, doesn't he? he or I can't remember what he don't you, Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't you, um, But, yeah, amazing he could even walk up the bus at this point, to be honest. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. If you had the choice of any sport, then if you, I guess you've got now you've got your foot in the door. 
and yeah. you've got this kind of shorty, or you can pretty much choose whatever you want to do because I guess teams would be delighted to have you for a bit of boxing, boxing, boxing all day. Boxing, boxing. ah, okay. Love boxing. That's my that's my personal sport. That's my jam. Um, ah. That's the that I adore. Like that's the thing. That's my. I'm a hobbyist boxer, so I do all, I do, I do a lot of training, and the thing I love about it. And I don't know if this is just all sports or what, but it correlates the comedy with me a little bit is that um, there's so many tiny adjustments all the time. Uh, and each tiny adjustment you make kind of makes what you're doing that much easier. And, and, and it's like where, where boxing got really addictive for me is where you find yourself putting in less physical effort, but getting more power, getting more reward because your knees, your ankles, your your everything is sort of aligning in the correct way to get you the most amount of torque or power. Mm. And you feel your body just moving more efficiently. And and it's the whole thing about being relaxed. And the more relaxed you are, the sort of stronger you are, the clearer you can think. And all these tiny elements that go into it. I'm sure it's every sport. But for yeah. me, like like an hour of boxing training is so physically strenuous that at the end of it, I realize I haven't thought about anything at all. And and it's like meditating. I'm sure you you find that like when, when you really kind of bang it out. It, yeah, you've had an hour, hour and a half, whatever, and and it's very zen-like and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, you don't. I I don't. I didn't really appreciate it or understand it until I got towards the end of my career. And when you finish, and you look back and you realise what what a role it was playing in your daily physical and mental well-being. And and yeah, and then and that's that's why I continued to ride my bike and to go to the gym and to, to keep physically active for that very reason. And I do motorsport now as well, just as a hobby. And it's the same thing, you know. It's not as physical as my cycling, but the concentration is such a level. I mean, I guess the same as stand up. That for that half an hour I'm racing for, or an hour, or however long the race is, nothing else in the world matters or is even entering my brain. It's complete focus of right here, right now. And that kind of escapism, and you, when you step out the car at the end of it, you're, it's like you're coming out from underground. You're like, oh, geez, right, That's everything it. else, you know. And it's yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said for that. It's you know, people assume that sport is just about the, the physical benefits. It makes you physically fit. It's good for your body. That's great. But actually, yeah, so many so many other benefits. And you're right though about the efficiency and getting more, you know, more bang for your buck. You know, becoming more efficient at the movements, whether it's you know efficiency in the bike or or whatever. You look at look at golf. I remember taking up golf in my thirties, going down the driving range, straining muscles, trying to smack this ball and it was going like a hundred yards. And I looked over and there was like a, a little lady in her eighties, just a nice gentle swing. And then ping, you know, the ball goes like two hundred yards and you're like, yeah, it's not it's not all about physical brute force. No, it's it's interesting you said escapism because I think, uh, in a way, it is escapism, but I think what it does is it forces you into the present. Mm. Like, it forces you into the present moment. You're not, you're not, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's that's kind of a, a whatever, Buddhist thing, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Power of Now. What's that guy called? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle. It's that uh, whole thing about being right in the moment and being in the there. But yeah, my, honestly, if I didn't exercise, my head would be a mess. I, I rely on it deeply. I sort of exercise like three, four times a week. Rely on it deeply. And and yeah, like I um I've been training for about ten years, and I got a bit. Well, I didn't get cocky really. I I wanted to test myself, and so I I actually had a, a fight last year. Um. 
I was in Liverpool and I rang up the promoter and I said, right, I want to have a, a fight with someone. I haven't really got any experience. And they said, do you want an exhibition? And I went, no, no, I want a proper fight. And they went, really? Christ. So I started training <laughs> and I listened to, uh, uh, oh God, what's that Scouse box? Tony Belly's book. Yeah. I was listening to Tony Belly's book and I was running and I was just training really hard. And and then the night came and uh, I, I, I had the most phenomenal adrenaline dump. Uh, it was insane. I've never felt anything like it. I sort of came outside myself. I was like a zombie. And, you know, and all my tactics, everything I should have done, all my technique went out the window. And I basically windmilled for, for <laughs> I'd say, windmilled for the first two rounds. I think I accidentally won the first round and then got knocked down into the second. And the third, I got absolutely sparked out. And and it was a bit of a wake-up call, but at the same time, I was glad I tested myself. And I was high as a kite. <laughs> I got, and bear in mind, I got knocked out in front of a load of people, but the adrenaline and everything and the release, I was high as a kite. But then a couple of days later, I paid the debt for all that adrenaline, and I, I kind of knew it was coming as well. And I got this mad crashing low. Because I'd had all my all my natural chemicals had been fizzing so hard, I, I, and I guess you must you must know about that as, as well, Chris. Yeah. Is when you're in a heavy, heavy adrenal situation, it's like you've charged your body up, and then what do you do with that when it's, when you're depleted? It's such a good point, and it, I, I noticed it mainly after really big championships. So you're racing fairly regularly, and you kind of get used to that. And it's it's part of the daily or weekly routine, but the the big ones, the Olympic Games, the World Championships, you've been you know working towards them for years, and it is such a massive adrenaline. There's such an emotional energy required as well as all the physical side, the emotional effort and energy, and then it's suddenly the release, and you get the the immediate release is amazing, like you're talking about that incredible feeling at the end of it. But the next day, even for two or three weeks after it, the, the kind of anticlimax of right, well, what now? And I think that's then you, that's what kind of becomes almost like a drug that you're looking for the next. Well, what's the next challenge? What's the next thing mm. I'm going to do? Um, and really, you need to let your body and, and, and mind sort of, you know, come down from that massive um, challenge and, and sort of build up gradually. But the temptation is to get straight back in it and have something straight away. But yeah, it's. I think a lot of athletes struggle with it. A lot of sports. Have you people. read? Have you read Tyson Fury's book? No, I've not. What's that? What's that like? So. Um, really insightful and enjoyable. And he talks about a moment where he gets everything he's ever wanted. So he wins the, the world heavyweight championship the first time around, literally everything he's worked towards since an early teenager, he's got it. Everything in that life had been with one clear point on this mountain and he reached the top and then he got there and it was like, I, the next day, he said, he's like, oh, oh, I thought that was, I thought this was going to feel different. <laughs> like, and suddenly he's got everything in the world that he's ever wanted. It's a real tangible physical goal. And then he's, he's turned around and, and gone, but oh, but I still feel exactly the same. And now I don't even have a goal. And yeah. that was when he started to spiral off. It's really interesting. Um, it's so you know, common that it's way way yeah. more common than you would expect and I think it's it's bad enough if it's just that you're focusing on this as your big goal and this is what you want to achieve and this is your dream but I think there's I knew a number of people who were basically masking or were using that gold medal as if I get this gold medal it will fix all the other problems that are in my life and this, <clears> this will be the magic wave of wand and boom everything will be great 
and that was so they went from being in a state where they could cope with their problems because they had their solution on the horizon. They achieved the gold medal, and then they, then it all fell apart. And they would have you know, a couple of them had a really really bad um, experience for a few years after it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I think everybody, you know, we all. It's it's just this anti climax, and and the per this perverse situation is that before the when you're coming towards this big goal. There's part of you just doesn't want it. You know, it's so stressful. You're thinking, I can't wait till it's over. I just want to get this done. I don't know what the outcome is yet. There's so many uncertainties, so many things that I can't control, and that can cause stress. And you just you're looking around the world and outside this bubble you live in. There's people going to the shops, going to their you know working and doing their normal stuff, and you're in this this kind of intense world. And just you're wishing that you could be in that world with them and just going to a beer garden and relaxing, enjoying a normal day. And then, then, then your life becomes normal. You finish that, that, you hit that target, you achieve that goal, and all you want to do is be back in it again. It's just yeah. you know the the grass is always greener. You're always thinking, well, that that will make me happier. I want to do that yeah. instead. And it's like you're going back to you know you said earlier about being in the present. I think it's understanding with with hindsight now as a retired athlete now. I think I'm better at just enjoying being in the moment and enjoying what I'm doing just for the sake of doing it. Just riding a bike. For the sake of it, this is this is a great thing. I'm not doing it because, well, if I train hard, then I'll enjoy it more next week or or the week after. Or I've got this thing coming yeah. up. It's just about having fun doing it right now. So you're racing around the track in a motor car as well, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm a middle aged man having a crisis. Yeah, exactly. Middle aged. <laughs> nah, you're just, you're <laughs> no, just getting that. Is is that not just the adrenaline again? It is. It's exactly yeah. that, and it's and I didn't do it as a replacement for cycling, but it. It kind of helped wean me off that that you know yeah. I've been competing for twenty odd years full time as a as a cyclist. So when you have such a big change in your life, you need to have some way of I think decompressing from that. And it helped. It. And I'm still doing it now, ten or eleven years on now. I'm still racing cars because mm. I just it's something that I enjoy doing for the sake of doing it, just to get in the car to experience yeah. that adrenaline, to experience the fun part of it. If you win a little plastic trophy at the end of it, then that's great. But that's not that's not what you do it for. You yeah. do it for the experience. Yeah, man. I was going to ask you, though, I was just going to say, you know, you're putting yourself into that position, stepping into the ring, and, uh, you know, that's that's a brave thing to do. And, you know, no one was forcing you to do it. You didn't have to do it. You chose to do that. It's, Mm. in many ways, I guess, stepping up and doing an open mic the first time, going up and doing comedy. For me, I think that's as terrifying as stepping into into a ring to go and fight somebody. Did you have any any help you? About fighting or about comedy? Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, to be honest, I've thought about neither. Yeah, I would. I would never. I couldn't think of anything worse than. I mean, I, I, occasionally, you know, I'll do. I'll do talks. I'll go and do motivational talks or inspirational talks or you know, yeah. corporate gigs. And but people, you walk into there and they're on your side already. You know, it's not like you're kind of going into a room. You know, you might not know the people, but you know about them they're working for this company or they're here for this event and and they're on your side immediately whereas walking into a room full of people you don't know what kind of humor they have you don't know what they're going to be you know laughing at you've never met them before they're kind of sitting with their arms folded you know make me laugh kind of thing that must be absolutely terrifying and the first joke doesn't land how do you turn it around what what's your sort of mindset for for that kind of situation well to be honest like what the the comedy setup you're describing there was more what I sort of grew up in comedy with. So I, I, I became that I became used to that and I, I became used to walking into a room and especially dressed as Troy. 
coming on stage and having half the crowd go, oh, I'm not going to like this dude. And then <laughs> um, like jumping over that and sort of overcoming that. And it's very much like when your comedy is never harder than when you are cutting your teeth, when you're new. And even when you're sort of quite established on the circuit, on the comedy circuit. So you go from doing open spots to doing like middle spots and then you're opening a room and then you're closing on a bill, a bill where people have booked a night, a comedy night. There's four comics on. They don't necessarily know who's on. You're closing. So you're getting paid the most and you're sort of, you know, arbitrarily accepted as the most accomplished comedian whatever it gets easier every stage so when you when you when you go from opener to closer when you're when you are closing the audience will go oh it's the closer he's going to be good and it's almost like you you feel that benefit of them thinking that the second you get on and then when you go from closing to doing your own tour shows it's a bit more the scenario that you're describing with after dinner speaking people bought a ticket to see a tour show so they know what they're getting they're already on board so they're, they're, they're more likely to have a, a, a good time. And then the bigger the tour, the bigger the tour room, the more people are on board. It's like the further, the better you get and the, the further along you get, the easier it gets uh, compared to the scenario you're talking about, which is where you come out to a room of people and God knows what could go on and you could end up dying on your ass. And I did that numerous times. And it's it's a horrific feeling as a comedian that you get more used to and, and it, it really burns. And it's like, I think people give up comedy and then it's, it's the reaction to those deaths that I think define whether you, you stay or you go, because it really is hideous on the ego, but the death, the death of your ego is actually a brilliant thing because you know, it, it, it shakes you up. It's like you've had a room full of 200 people universally, innately and tacitly tell you that you cannot do this job that you thought you could do. And they've come together as one telepathically <laughs> shit on your dreams. And it's a lot to over. And it's a lot to process. But it's the most important thing because you come away. Like it, some comics would come away and go, Oh, that was a horrible room and they were a shitty crowd and you know, the middle overran and the compare just got me straight on and find all these millions of reasons why it didn't work for them. But where I think you get progress as a comic is where you sit in that car and you hate yourself for 10 minutes and then you go, right, where did I fuck up there? Because I can't do anything about the environment, but what I can do is work on my output. Like, what, what did I go too fast? Did I open with the wrong bit? And it's it's horrible feeling of like picking open a wound a little bit just to see exactly what's going on there and then uh sarah millican has a brilliant rule is you can never think about a bad gig uh past 11 a.m the next day um but definitely think about it for a bit and <laughs> and kind of take responsibility for where you went wrong and that's not to say uh it, it can't still go bad like i had a, a corporate gig in um in london in december last year and and you know, it was a thankless environment. Everyone was in round tables. There was no stage. I came out. Everybody was talking, and I, 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 I died. I had, I had a sort of, a, I had that experience. It didn't work. And this is at a point where I'm sort of fairly well known and everything like that. And you know, it, 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 it kind of doesn't hurt any less. It's not like you walk away and you go, well, you know, well, I've got all these followers, and I'm just as a comedian. 
you still walk away and go, shit, I'm rusty. I've been spoiled by doing my own tour shows. I've I've got to now get, get back that extra edge that you get from playing to strangers so this doesn't happen again. It's that, yeah, it's it's a constant, constant thing. I've been talking for ages. I can't oh, even no. remember what question was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you're here for. That's what you're here for. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you if because you talked oh, about you doing stand up, wasn't it, Chris? And you said oh, yes, it was yes. nightmare. But like, what I'm, I guess the the very very abridged short answer is is the kind of when you get to a certain level and you've got tour shows and people are, it's a bit like the the after dinner thing where people like you immediately and makes it easier and stuff. Sorry. But, but I want because you said you had a like a, a drop off after doing that boxing. Does the same thing happen after a big tour? Do you kind of have a a slump? Because I think you'd be on a rush like that, and suddenly how many weeks or whatever or nights you're doing, and then suddenly do do you have that effect as well, or wasn't like no, that? no? And I, no. I think I think it isn't as much because I'm used to it, and also it, it, it's it's like going into have a, a, a fight in a nightclub in Liverpool in what ended up being an MMA cage was such a unique experience for me. It was such a different level of adrenaline. If I do like a massive room, like if I do like the, the biggest rooms I've done so far have been like the Liverpool Philharmonic, the Brighton Dome, uh, Newcastle City Hall. Like like if I do one of those rooms, there will be there will there'll be a spike and, and and I'll feel a little dip the next day. But I think in terms of comedy, I'm so used to that. I know how to manage it and everything. But with the boxing, it was such a brand new experience. Yeah. It was it was and the adrenaline was so much higher and further than than anything. Like with comedy, it was not not on the same scale at all. But it also, I guess, highlights the the value of challenging yourself and trying new things and all that good shit. What what you were saying as well about the the kind of debrief, personal debrief after a bad gig, mm. it's exactly the same as in sport because you can you can blame the referee, you can blame the weather, you can blame bad luck, you can make any kind of excuses for underperforming. But ultimately, if you the ones that the athletes who do well or tend to progress and and, and make pro, make long term progress are the ones who turn it back on themselves and go right well. If I'm being honest, I didn't train hard enough over the last four weeks, or I, you know, took a shortcut by not doing that full session, or I, you know, I made a tactical error here. And and if you turn it back on yourself and take responsibility and ownership for your performance, that's that is how you you make long term progress. And yeah, it's fascinating that that's that clearly comedy has a similar a similar um, mindset. Yeah, I th- well, I think, and again, it would be people who sort of end up being good. Because because they that th- that's how they look at it and they they look at the factors they can control or affect. But I mean, if we're if we're sort of ever generalizing, you could take that to sort of any form of interaction. That, say you're having a row with someone, say you're having a feud with someone, you're not talking to a family member, and it's sort of eating you up. Um, there's nothing really you can do uh, by sort of laying continual blame or anger or anything at their door. I guess. In any conflict with any two people, there is going to be liability on both sides. And I guess all you can do, and it's the same, it's just, just general improvement, isn't it? You can you can try and take a real good objective look at yourself and your decisions and things you've done that's contributed to this, this disagreement or, or argument or whatever. And, and really try and go, all right, let's take the emotion out of it. Let's try and look at this really objectively. Where, where have I gone wrong and where could I have done better? And then I think what happens then is when you start doing that, uh, you kind of humanize the person you're angry with a bit more. And 
you know, you find it easier to sort of look at look at why the whole thing's happened, and it becomes less black and white. The whole argument, the whole feud, everything. The, the difficulty is at that point, uh, and this is the difficulty with sport, with comedy, is how uncomfortable it is to take accountability. You know, especially with sport or something. If you've been training something and you know you've made a mistake that your coaches have highlighted and you've realized in the moment you've you've made this schoolboy error and your brain skipped it and you're like, ah, it's it's agonizing to go, yeah, this, you know, I took my eye off the ball, this is the thing that happened, you know. And I think it's the same with any personal stuff, any any stuff that you might be aware of that you do in a negative way. You know, if you look back, you go, oh, I did that. I was a bit, I was a bit brash. I was a bit, you know. I was a I was a bit mean about this thing or anything really. It just comes down to sort of um, keeping an eye on your own shit as much as you can. I think wise words. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of beat it out on the wisdom that, at the that, end. That should be on a on a little quote on a wall, you know, in quotation marks. Keep an eye, Keep your an own eye on shit. your own shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can really do. Yeah. The, the, the boxing yeah. side, have you had any other sporting misadventures or is the boxing being knocked out probably the, the, the standout sporting misadventure for you? Or? Yeah, I mean, I was never good at sport as a kid, yeah. ever. I was really bad at sport. I had like, I was massively short-sighted when I was a kid and I had these big, thick glasses. And I think when you decide you're not good at sport as a kid, your body goes, okay, you're not good at sport then. And then I wasn't really good at much. And I had this weird thing where I got contact lenses when I was... Uh, sort of what how old was I like 15 16 and and suddenly I'd, I'd like sort of go oh maybe I'm not so bad at sport and then when I started sort of doing a bit of boxing and I went back to football I realized I wasn't a desperately shit footballer anymore but I was you know I was better because I just had more physical confidence and suddenly oh I'm better at these other sports sporting misadventures um do you know the worst thing about that fight is that I accidentally landed two haymakers on this dude in the first round and I just, as soon as I landed them, I just stopped dead and stared at him. And, uh, and then I just Did you get him angry? Oh, you got him angry, was that? It was. You <laughs> shouldn't hit him so hard, eh? Honestly, genuinely not far from the truth. This coach, <laughs> like, came up to me afterwards. And the thing I like about boxing is, is people who are involved in boxing are very direct. There's no small talk. There's no niceties. Like a lot of the coaches and everything, they're very late on the line. And this dude who wasn't my coach, he was a coach of another fighter, just goes, when you hit him twice, you do realize if you'd hit him one more time, the fight probably would have been over. Like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, what? <laughs> Why did you stop? Because I, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> and he went, he went, all right, fair enough. That explains to but it was it was a little bit like sparring because when you spar and you land a really hard shot you, you you stop the worst thing you can do in sparring and i'm guilty of this as well is apologizing you go sorry and it's like oh <laughs> no don't don't apologize like it's it's a weird thing to do it's like don't just sort of well i think with sparring when you land on someone a bit harder than you mean you do you pull back you stop and i think i was just sort of used to that a little bit and I actually did that in a fight which was unbelievably stupid <laughs> <laughs> has it scratched the edge or do you want to go back and have another, well, another I've, go I've, I've, uh, I promised my wife that um, I wouldn't do it anymore but I'll be honest like I don't like it, it's that would be like uh, leaving my comedy career on a bad gig it's kind of I know I'm better and I know that if I just kept my head I could have done a lot better and I think part of me wants 
You know, I mean, it is you were talking about midlife crisis earlier. This is this got midlife crisis written all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hardcore midlife crisis. I think I would like to do one more, but maybe next time I won't do it with a dude who's now like, you know, I think he's uh, he's, he's like a, a, a cruiserweight sort of regional unlicensed title holder or something right. and i think i think his plan was to go in and go 40 percent with me just to kind of hold my hand a little bit but then when i when i when i came out windmilling like i was <laughs> desperately trying to save my own life like I, I came out absolutely windmilling and i think he had to just get me out of there. <laughs> what you need to do is get involved in one yeah. of these the the celebrity boxing matches play down how much training you've done play down the fact that you've already yeah. fought and then go yeah. out and fight. I don't know whoever it was. Was it Grant Bovey and uh, was it Ricky Gervais? Did he not? I'm sure there was something. Yeah, but I've got a memory that Ricky Gervais won on points, but got knocked down in the first round. And in a three-round fight, that's technically impossible. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he's got I, knocked I, down in the first round, that's a 10-8, right? Right. So even if, even even if, if he won the last two. two rounds, yeah, it's still a draw, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know much about boxing, but that makes sense to me. But you could, oh. that that is the one you want to get in. That's the gig, you know. Yeah, who would be the, the comedian? Boxing. Who would be the comedian yeah. you'd step into the ring with? Who would it be? Oh, um, oh God. I, who I would you most really like have... to punch in the face? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't really have a shit list, to be honest. Um, <laughs> who would yours be? You tell me yours and I might, I'd, I'd fight them. Matt. Yeah, two of us, we could have a head to head. It would be sensational. Yeah, we, we hate each other. We hate yeah. each other with a passion. Proper grudge match. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. I thought I was going to get a genuine answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. No, I, you, just... show me, you show me yours. I'll show you mine. <laughs> I can't think of other comedians who are into their boxing. I was trying to think off the top of my head, but it doesn't really immediately spring to mind. Uh, oh, yeah. there's somebody that rings a bell. Who was it? Was, I was listening to. I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, no, but he is, he's got himself a Actually, shape, he, he's, he's, he'd be a good one. Yeah. He, he looks like he's in reasonable shape. Yeah. Sort. I think I'm out of his weight category, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's I'm, all right. I'm like, it's all for charity. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I'd undoubtedly take it too seriously. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm the king of taking things too seriously. I went on to um, Richard Osmond's House of Games and just got... A, a, I embarrassed myself at how competitive I got. It's one of these ones that every now and again you wake up in the morning, middle of the night, you know, 2 a.m., sweating, oh, yeah. thinking, oh my God, this is, you know, <laughs> panic. just get it out there, put it on air, let people see how much of an idiot I am, and then it's done. Because I did just you know. Do? It just, I just took it way too seriously. I got did genuinely. You, did, you come, did you come second and start flipping tables? I, I can't, we can't say the results, but. Um, <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's no, out it, yet. It's, it's, not, it's, out not, yet. it's not out yet. But I just, I just, it's a bit like playing a board game or, yeah. you know, anything. I just, I always get. <laughs> I start off, yeah, we'll have a little game of this. Or I remember, you know, taking, like, throwing, a, you know, the remember swing ball? Yes. And the, the big, heavy plastic bats, like the, the, the rackets that are way an absolute ton. Certainly as a yeah. kid, they, they feel heavy. I remember playing that and losing to my big sister and losing losing my rag and throwing this. And I wasn't throwing it at her. I just threw, the, threw the, the heavy racket and it just happened to go near her and it bumped, it smacked her on the head. Oh. And I, remember, I just remember, I was as a kid, I remember these things, you kind of, competition just seems to there's like a light a switch in my head that goes on of right right i have to win this and it's um 
sometimes it's hard to contain it and it's you know i guess having kids now that's that's it's helping me to become a little bit more able to step back and not be not be the yeah. competitive dad but um it's funny yeah. with the kids thing because it's like how much do you let them win how much do you not let them win um it's that whole dichotomy of like I, I want them to get a bit of joy out of playing at the same time i don't want them to think success comes too easy and they don't have to graft for it so yeah. from I, I don't know what your thing is but for me if i see that they're making like a tremendous genuine effort i'll kind of yeah i'll 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 start letting yeah, them. never let them win destroy them <laughs> <laughs> rub their noses in it <laughs> competitive that yeah no i'm the same it's it's i was playing top trumpets with my son the other day and it's i was doing that i was trying not to let him win but equally yeah. trying not you know you don't want to just finish the game so you kind of you're playing to the point you think right okay this needs to finish yeah. now this has been going on for too long right okay oh you've won well done but yeah like like in the, right. when you're swimming alongside you know let's race to the other side of the pool you always yeah. want to just make them make sure that they're trying their absolute hardest and if they can win by a little bit but they get smart if they win all the time if you let them win they know that you're letting them uh-huh. And, and, they, and they, they kind of, there's no joy in that. I think it's nice to, to kind of mix it up a little bit. Right. Next question. Did your dad let you in? That's a really good question. Yeah. I, I can remember arm wrestling him when I was about 14. And genuinely, I, you could see the look in his eyes of, I'm not going to let you win this one. And it, there was, I think must, that must have been the kind of hand, the, the crossover point from when uh, you're, trying, you're, you're, you're letting your kids win at things. And then, you suddenly realise they can't beat you and then you actually want to try and beat them to <laughs> for your own pride. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I remember about 14, 15 and I beat him in an arm wrestle. I think that was the point where I realised up until that point, he must have been letting me win because uh, that took you a lot more. I, I, have a, I have a 14 year old now and it's exactly happening there. I'm beginning to lose and I'm at my ultimate level. Like I'm pushing to, yeah. to the max and I'm losing at, at tennis and, and other things. I'm just being pushed. <laughs> past the point because he's just so fit and so he just sends yeah. me all over the place the trouble is you're going to get to the point where he's going to start letting you in <laughs> that's the new low he's going to start feeling sorry for you and he'll be like oh you beat me dad well done <laughs> keep an eye out for that one when are we going to start recording by the way <laughs> yeah. yeah so <laughs> yeah, that's that a good, that a good warm up good warm up but listen, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, appreciate um, how busy you are, and you know, it's keep keep doing this uh, fantastic character because oh. like Troy is bringing bringing a lot of joy into all of our lives. So keep it going. Oh, and, thank uh, you, man. No, it's it, genuinely. It's I think it's such a wonderful wonderful character, and you do it so well. And uh, yeah, thank you. But keep keep it going, and I hope to see you live one day as well. Yeah, brother. I'm up in Edinburgh last week. If you're about. Um, when, what, yeah. what week is that? Just just checking because I'm twentieth to twenty seventh. So if you want to come along, I'll uh, I'll sneak you in the back. I would I would love to because I've been trying to get up to Edinburgh for the, the end of the festival. It's just an absolute nightmare. Just now. I'm up in Glasgow for this next ten yeah. days at Cycling World Championships, and it's full on. But um, yeah, I'd love to get home to Edinburgh for many reasons. Oh, right. Yeah, man. cool. That, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. It was great. I'm glad. Great to meet you. Take, Take care. care. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. bye.